Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Real Estate Investor Goddesses podcast. I'm your host, Monique Hom, and I am here with a really special guest. Um, and the reason I brought her is because as property owners, we need to be prepared for the unexpected. Things happen. A tenant might slip and fall, might have a fire, a hurricane could hit and flood your property, your dog could bite someone. Things happen. And if you're not prepared for the unexpected, you could lose your property or worse. Good insurance is the first line of defense against the unexpected. And our guest today, Amber Seggy, is an expert in helping investment property owners and others protect their properties businesses, and personal assets through insurance. And uh, and I'm going to say she's also, she's my insurance agent and representative. So I'm happy to have her here today. She's going to share on uh, the podcast the most important things any property owner must do to protect themselves and their assets with insurance. She is the Area Assistant Vice President at Gallagher and holds the Associate in Risk Management designation. She works with middle market businesses to strategically structure insurance and risk management programs and has had the pleasure of working with clients across a variety of industries, including property owners, manufacturers, distributors, restaurants, nonprofits, etc. Additionally, she's actively involved in her community as a member of the Orange County United Way's Emerging Leaders Council and newly appointed board member of Hands Together, a nonprofit in Santa Ana, California. She lives in Orange County, California with her husband and two sons, and I'm so thrilled that she's taken the time out of her busy schedule to be with us today. Welcome, Amber. Hi, Monique. Thank you. Thank you. So, Insurance is super duper important for investors. How did you get started in insurance? So we kind of have a running joke that most people either fall into insurance on accident or they have a family member in the business. Um, Not very many people, I think, go to school and say, I want to be an insurance broker. It's, you know... (laughs) Not a a sexy industry, if you would. But um, so for me, it was the latter. My father actually has been in the industry for um, over 30 years. So I like to joke that I was born into it Um, throughout my early childhood, high school, college. I interned at his agency. So I know the ins and outs of the business side, you know, anything from being a receptionist to an admin. I interned in the accounting department. Um, So I got to see a lot of the business. And about seven years ago, an opportunity came about, um, and that's when I dove into becoming a broker. Um, I worked with fitness studios and fitness instructors, placing coverage for them. I grew up with a dance background, so I sort of understood their world, and so it was a really fun way to, to blend my personal interests and learning the technical side of the business. And from there, I managed a Main Street business unit um, at my father's firm, and then now I work on the core team at Gallagher, um, as you mentioned, with middle market companies and including property um, investors like yourself. Awesome. So just to explain to the listeners, what does middle market mean? Well, every sort of 
whether you're a banker, insurance, every sort of uh, advisor has a different definition of middle market. Um, Mm -hmm. But we sort of say on average that would be clients that are, you know, upwards of 10 million in revenues and 30 to 50 employees. Um, But from the property investment side that you may not have employees and your revenues might not be 10 million. It really just sort of depends um, on the size. But if you're thinking about 50,000 in insurance premiums, that's probably Mm -hmm. about where I'll start to really be able to make an impact um, with regards to risk management, um, structuring programs and things like that. Great. Fantastic. So, for investors, why why is insurance important for property investors? Well, um, insurance protects you and protects your investment. I mean, as a property owner, you've probably fronted a decent amount of money um, into these properties. So you have a vested interest in making sure that you continue to receive rental income, you continue to um, have this asset if, you know, you're living in it, if you've invested in your own home. And so you want to make sure that you're protected in the event of a loss, either a loss to the property um, for a fire, flooding, things like that, or um, third-party liability if someone slips and falls on your property, um, for those types of things. So as a property owner, um, you have a vested interest in, in making sure that, you know, your asset remains as it is. And if it doesn't, you want to be sure that that investment has been protected accordingly. Yeah, absolutely. So what type of insurance should somebody have? Let's say they're investing in a, a, a single family or duplex, triplex, that kind of thing. What type of insurance would you recommend for them? So I think um, – sort of across the board, whether it's a home that you live in or, um, you know, a larger apartment complex, there's a few different coverage types that you want to be sure that you have. So there's general liability coverage um, that protects in the case of a third-party claim, so someone slips and falls um, on your property. You want to definitely protect – uh, your interest in the property itself, so your first party um, coverages. So, you know, building coverage, making sure that if the building either suffers a partial or total loss, that you have um, coverage for that. If you are renting it, you're not occupying the residence yourself, um, you can protect your loss of rental income on a property form. And in general, an umbrella. Um, a lot of times is necessary to increase the limits um, of your liability coverages. So whether it's a small um, complex or a larger one, um, those are sort of some of the the standard coverages that you'd expect to see or you'd want to make sure you have across the board. Um, And where some of the nuances come into place would be, you know, depending on where you're located, if there's a catastrophe, potential for a catastrophe, so a flood. If you're in a flood zone, you might want flood coverage or earthquake coverage Mm -hmm. if you're in, you know, California. (laughs) Knock on wood, we (laughs) haven't had the big one come. But um, 
some of those things aren't included or are specifically excluded on your um, standard package. Um, and so you want to make sure that you understand some of your catastrophe exposures. And then depending okay. on, you know, if you have employees um, or if it's a home that you're living in, obviously you want to protect your contents. But if you are renting it out to someone else, um, you know, you have a different liability exposure and they would probably want to protect their own contents. Um, so depending on who's occupying it might make a need for different um, coverages. You know, are you planning to do any construction or remodel? Um, different things like that might trigger the need for different, different coverages as well. Okay. So say you're doing a, um, you're doing a, a remodel or you get a property and you're flipping it. What kind of insurance would you need for that? So one of the important things to know is that if you're doing, um, you know, construction on a property, um, a lot of mm -hmm. times you'll want to get what's called a builder's risk policy, and that covers your your liability um, while the property is under construction. Um, and then okay. also making sure you have the property coverage for during the course of construction. So um, that's not typically um, contemplated in your standard package policy that you have for like the ownership of the home or whatever property it is. Yeah. Um, and if you're doing the construction yourself, that's one thing. If you have a contractor, you know, you'd want to make sure that they would have appropriate coverages in place because they could be adding um, to the liability for um for the construction that's happening, and you want to make sure that the appropriate party um, is responsible for their actions or negligence um, and that type okay. of thing. So you want to you want a contractor with good insurance if you're if you're hiring somebody, but then you would as the owner you would still need builder's risk insurance. Right. Um, so you know if somebody's yeah. if if somebody's um, if they're a contractor and they're performing work you want to make sure that there's appropriate protections in place for you as the owner if something, you know, that that they do or that they cause um, results in a claim. And you want to make sure that they have the appropriate insurance in place to, um, to not only respond to that claim, but also um, protect you as the owner through various um, additional insured provisions and things of that nature so that ultimately ultimately it doesn't come back to you as the owner. Okay. So what about for a property manager? What, what kind of insurance would you need if you, A, if maybe they're, they're a third party and, you know, you've, you've hired them and they're a vendor, or if you they're your employee, are there, are there different uh, insurances that you're going to need if one's an employee versus one's a, a third party? Um, so in general, say they're a third party, you still would want to see that that property manager has a liability policy in place. Um, if they're on site at your properties and something they do causes negligence, you know, you want to be sure that they're appropriately um, insured. Mm -hmm. um, if they're your employees, 
Um, the next thing that you would want to consider is that there's likely a requirement for workers' comp coverage. Um, so okay. workers' comp workers' compensation would be important that if you, as a property owner, have any sort of employees, whether it's a property manager, um, you maintenance know, guy. maintenance person, exactly. Um, security, that type of thing, if they're your employees, then you have the responsibility for that workers' compensation coverage. Okay. Um, now, as a property manager, you mm, would probably also want to have errors and emissions coverage. Um, and what that would do is that would protect you against claims saying that you've um, failed to, you know, live up to the services that you've promised to your clients. Um, okay. So that would be something that you might want to consider as well. And what if your – so workers' comp would be more for if something happened to the employee, right? They could have workers' compensation. Right. But what if what if they were responsible for something to a tenant? Um, how, what insurance would that – could we use for that? And, and this person is your employee, correct? Yeah, so say employee does something that ends up hurting uh, one of the tenants somehow. They mm-hmm. they leave something there and the tenant trips and falls or you know some something happens and and they're they're right. responsible. How how what what helps with that? So um, the general liability policy that you've placed as the property owner has different Mm -hmm. um, provisions and definitions for who's considered and insured under the policy. So that employee, um, if something that they did, their negligence caused harm to someone and they, you know, filed a liability claim, Mm -hmm. um, your general liability policy would respond. And it would not only protect you as the owner, but it would also protect the employee for, um, for that claim as well. So that's another reason why, um, you know, the general liability policies are important. Okay. Okay. Super important. Um, all right. What about other types of commercial properties? Are there, um, let's say it's a, uh, you might have, you have a, you own a retail or industrial or, um, or, uh, self storage or something else is there are there different insurance policies that would be good for that for those types of um investments yeah so i mean i think you know as i've mentioned the standard general liability property policy those of course are important across the board mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. now if you owned that type of commercial property um and you were not the um the operator of the business, that's one thing. But mm-hmm. if you owned it and you also owned the business that was operating it, um, you'd want to be sure that you had coverage not only for the building, but also for your business operations. Um, okay. And most commercial package policies are written in a way to, you know, be able to protect your your ownership interest in not only the property itself, but also the business exposure that's that's not uncommon. Um, and depending on the tenant, you might have um, the need for an umbrella, so higher mm-hmm. limits on the liability side. Um, or you could potentially have environmental liability concerns. So say you have a gas station um, 
or an auto shop that, you know, could have the potential for leaking gasoline or grease or things like that that, um, that could potentially damage the environment. Um, even if you're not the person responsible for that, so you're not the business that's performing those um, operations, as the landlord, as the owner of the property, um, you could be brought into to claims of that. So really understanding who is um, who the tenant is and what their operations are um, could could point to the need for different types of coverages and different exposures that you might have. Okay, that makes sense. So can you um, just describe the umbrella policy because that's that's more yeah to, to explain what the umbrella policy does and what it's for sure so most um general liability policies that you purchase will have a standard limit um that you know that they include so for instance you might have a one million dollar limit and a two million um dollar aggregate limit, so for the course of the, that policy period. What the umbrella does is it provides higher limits for you um, in the event of a liability claim. So most people think, oh, I make you know $900,000 in revenue. I don't have the exposure for something over a million dollars. A million dollar limit is sufficient. That might not be true. So depending on what happens, what who's involved in the claim, there could be the potential need for higher umbrella limits. And what that does is it extends coverage for you so that you have access to 2 million, 3 million, 5 million, and upwards of that um, limits for, for that liability coverage. Okay. And is the umbrella, is that, would that be for the the business or would that be personal? You can do both. You can, um, a lot of people, so like myself, I have a personal umbrella. My husband and I do. We own our home. We both have vehicles and we have a, um, a motor home. So we have a personal umbrella that will extend over the liability for each of those policies. They're all scheduled. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, that way we've increased our protection. Um, as a commercial property owner or a business, you can have a commercial umbrella that would increase the limits as well. So um, you can really have it on either side, whether it's a personal policy or a commercial policy or property. Okay. All right. That's good. To know. I, so I have, a, I have a personal umbrella as well, but I, I didn't realize as well that you could do the commercial umbrella. Okay. Mm -hmm. Cool. Um, so what are some of the biggest mistakes you you see investors make with regards to insurance? Yeah, so um, I think some of the mistakes just kind of goes down to not really understanding what what you have and how the policy works and insurance. You know, most people don't like to think about insurance. It's um, something you have to get, not something that you really want. So a lot of times yeah. just not understanding it or having someone explain it to you um, can open you up to exposures that you didn't know or understand that you had. Um, so to think of a few that I see probably most commonly 
Um, mm-hmm. One would be not insuring to value. So either your liability limits are low. So, for instance, you have um, either a residential property that has, um, you know, a high amount of units. You might have the need for a higher liability limit. Um, or you're a property owner of multiple properties that are all on one policy. You probably mm-hmm you know, would want to have a umbrella policy so that way one loss doesn't erode your limits for all the other properties that you own. Um, so there's, okay. there's either insufficient liability limits or on the property side, um, not carrying sufficient limits for your building. So really understanding how um, at the time of loss, that's when the carrier determines the value of your building and the value of the loss. And if you don't insure to value, there could be potential ramifications um, for being able to collect the total amount of, of what you've lost in that claim. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. So I want to ask you about this, having multiple properties on one policy and how that could be an sure. issue. Would you, would you recommend that people have each property on their, on the, having its own policy or or does it matter if they're on one policy or not? It's just having enough um, coverage. So I think there's pros and cons to both. So obviously okay. having separate separate policies, um, each property is going to only affect its own proper only affect its own policy. So if you have a loss mm-hmm. at one, it's not going to affect you know your limits at the other. So that's a benefit to that. Um, on the opposite side, having your properties on one policy will um, help to ensure that you have consistent coverage across the board. So a lot of times what we see is if you have different policies with different carriers, um, there might be coverages that you get with one carrier and not the other. Um, One carrier might have ancillary coverages for things like backup of um, sewers and drains, while another carrier might have a lower or higher limit. So really understanding the, the totality of your structured program. If you mm-hmm. have different policies, you want to make sure that you understand, you know, what one policy does or doesn't have, whereas having everything on one policy, um, you know, you're going to have consistent coverage no matter which property you're looking at. Okay. That makes sense. So mm-hmm. um, have, have you, I mean, I guess like I'm kind of interested in hearing, there are stories of me that was like, they, they ended up with a horror story of an experience because they didn't have the right insurance or insufficient insurance. Do you, do you have mm-hmm. an example of that? Oh, um a horror story. <laughs> I don't know that I have like a horror story. Um, I think hopefully none of your clients, but <laughs> you've heard of somebody else. Yeah, I mean, I think some of the the biggest things that you hear of is, you know, thinking back to all these um, catastrophes that we've had. You know, whether it's the wildfires, the hurricanes, um, and that mm-hmm. type of thing. 
you know, if you don't have flood coverage, a lot of people don't understand that that's not included on a standard property policy. So, so in those instances, um, you can see a lot of, um, like having to deliver bad news at the time of loss. Mm, um, knock on wood, yeah. I haven't had to, to do that for, for things like that, but that's where really understanding and having an advisor that um, will alert you to some of these um, exclusions and standards and things like that um, will really help you understand, do I want to buy the, the policy? And if I don't, that's okay that you understand that that's, you know, a potential exposure that you're going to choose to to either self-insure or, um, you know, accept that exposure for it. So just really having that dialogue, I think, I think is important. Yeah. So let me, let me ask you a question about that because I know that in Houston, for example, that, that had a horrible amount of flooding, there were quite a few properties that flooded that weren't in the floodplain. Um, mm-hmm. it, it ended up being a lot more flooding than people expected. So how, what do you do if you're not in a floodplain? Um, I guess it, it doesn't matter. You'd probably still be out of luck. So how, what, what would you recommend to somebody um, about getting those types of catastrophic coverage, coverages, coverage policies? Yeah, it, I mean, I think – there's flood zones and different lenders will have requirements that if you, you know, have property in a flood zone as a condition to, um, to having that mortgage with them um, or to get that loan that you have to have the flood policy. So a lot of times that requirement sort of whether you want to purchase it or not, you want that loan, you're going to get it. You need you're it. protected. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, now, if you don't have that requirement, you don't live in a floodplain, you could still buy the policy. So you still could purchase a flood policy, for instance, or earthquake coverage. Um, but, you know, if you don't think you have that exposure, you might not purchase it. So you really sort of have to, to weigh how the proximity of where you are, understanding those flood zones, um, and, you know, determining if you want to accept that exposure or the likelihood that it's going to happen is pretty low. Um, mm-hmm. Hopefully if, if something does happen, the it's not a total loss, you know, hopefully it's um, a partial loss if you don't have that. So, you know, it's really hard. There's no, I think, right or wrong formula to it. Yeah. Um, but that's mm-hmm. where having that, that broker or that advisor to just sort of talk through some of those exposures, you know, my job is to help you understand the risks and help you understand what those exposures might be um, so that you can make an informed decision. And okay. hopefully, you know, everybody's comfortable with the, the decision that's made. That's great. Wow, I'm just I'm yeah. realizing like wow, this has been so interesting. Like time's flown by, um, yeah. and I I had so many more questions for you. But uh, the most important question is, what's the best way for people to reach you and find out more about what you do, or if they're they're looking for um, insurance? How, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, so um, you know, I'm I have email. 
on my phone or I'm in the office. So email is probably the best way to reach me. I'm more than mm-hmm. happy um, to answer additional questions um, and that type of thing. So my email mm-hmm. address is amber underscore seggy at ajg.com. Um, or you can look me up on LinkedIn. I do have a LinkedIn page as well, but email is probably the best way to get a hold of me. Okay, great. Um, and I, I'm just going to give a plug to Amber because we've worked with lots of different insurance brokers, and she's the best. So <laughs> that. thank you. She's I been appreciate awesome. that. <laughs> yeah, it's been, been a pleasure. Really yeah. <laughs> thank you All so right. much. So we have time for a quick trinity, uh, which is sure. a brag of gratitude and desire. What's one thing you're celebrating right now? What's your brag? My brag. So um, I think you mentioned it in the, the intro um, about a week ago, week and a half ago, I was um, recently asked to be on the board of directors for a local nonprofit, and I'm really super excited um, to be joining the board. It's for Hands Together, um, they're located in Santa Ana, and they focus on um, literacy for preschool age children. So I have two young boys. I totally understand, you know, early childhood education and the importance for that. So I'm really excited to be working with this organization, um, and you know, to have the pleasure to have been asked um, to be on their board of directors. I'm really excited for it. Brag. So Thanks. what's one thing you're grateful for? <laughs> What's one thing you're grateful this for? One, this one was hard for me to pick one because I just feel so blessed in so many different areas. But I think um, first and foremost, I'm very thankful for my family um, to have, be blessed with my two young kids, my boys. Um, they're crazy, but so much fun, and I'm so blessed to be their mom. And then for my husband, he's super supportive of me and um my career and you know he's going to watch the kids tonight so I can go to an event he's just an awesome dad so I've just been really blessed with with the three of them Mm, beautiful and last but not least what's one thing you desire so um, I know this is a real estate investment (laughs) focused podcast and so Mm -hmm. um you know, we own our home. We're very lucky to, you know, have the investment in our own home. But, you know, someday we'd love to um, have investment properties. Um, so I think for the future, that would be one thing that we desire would be to be able to do that and dive more into the the real estate investment world. Yay. <laughs> yeah. So, shall so, your, so when so that shall comes. Your desire be your better. <laughs> Yeah, you know yeah. where to come. <laughs> I, I was going to say, when that comes, I, I will probably have uh, a lot of questions for you. So I know where to go. <laughs> yes, yes, you do. All right. Well, thank you again, Amber. Uh, that was awesome. You guys can get in touch with her at Amber underscore Seggy, S-E-G-G-I-E, at com, And you can get in touch with me at the Real Estate Investor goddesses.com website or on our real estate investor goddesses facebook page that's probably the best best places to reach me if on the website there's all sorts of goodies for you so um look forward to connecting to you there and 
come back next week for another Real Estate Investor Goddess interview. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.